The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for December 22nd. 2021, effectively, our Christmas edition of the program. My name is Justin Robert Young, joining you, as always, from Austin, Texas. But uh, in a few days, we'll be traversing the country and heading on up to the heartland. It's uh, high in the middle, round on both sides. Ohio, uh, to go visit the the in-laws. At least for me, the in-laws, my wife, it's just her family. But we got a lot to talk about on this edition of the program. Number one, Joe Biden's got a COVID plan. It's not the COVID plan that he had in July when he said that we were closer than ever to declaring independence from the virus. It's not the COVID plan that he had earlier this month when his press secretary ridiculed a question about whether or not they were going to send free tests to Americans that asked for it. No, it's a new COVID plan. And we're going to break it down. Spoiler alert. I, I, ugh, he, oh, uh, it's going to be a little, it's going to be a little bit of a bumpy ride. Iowa, New Hampshire. The longtime stalwarts of our modern American primary system have been in the crosshairs of the Democratic Party for, I mean, certainly at least the last two cycles. But at the end of 2020, it seemed like their days were numbered. And now we've got some more news that might be good for the uh, first in the nation caucus and primary. We're going to break down why that is and whether or not it is a good thing. Finally, we will be joined by Dave Leventhal, the money man, who, by the way, on this very show, he uh, 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 announced that he was leaving his old gig. He was starting a new one at Insider. Business Insider, now it's just Insider, uh, a DC bureau, a proper DC bureau. And guess what? In a little over a year, they've already made capital shaking news, specifically being able to track down Congress folk, both in the Senate and in the House, that have willingly ignored or violated the laws around announcing stock purchases, trades, and sales. This was, you know, put together a little cherry on top when Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, leader of the Democratic Caucus, had a bit of a headline-making quote of her own on this subject. Before we begin, though, I want to give you an update. Uh, Obviously, Joe Manchin blew up the Build Back Better bill on Sunday. Uh, It's a good reason to have the uh, $3 club privileges. If you go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com, you got our Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show where we broke that down in intricate detail. But I do want to give you guys the update of what's happened since then. Biden talked to Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin said, hey, uh, redo the entire bill and, you know, maybe I'll vote for it. The White House did say that Manchin pitched to them a $1.8 trillion deal that he would be in favor of. Uh, We now know some of the details on that. Uh, It did not include the child tax credit but did include billions for climate change and full funding for pre-K for 10 years. So uh, it was, you know, uh, look, a lot of people are, are 
are on this thing that Joe Manchin is like not negotiating in good faith or is being duplicitous. Everything he said in public, he has kind of followed through on. His big issue with the BBB as it was, was that it had a bunch of budget gimmicks that had very ambitious programs, all of which were only funded for a year to three years. That's how they got the number down from like six trillion to one point nine or one or, 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 you know, a 2.1, whatever it was. The larger point there is he's like, I don't want to do that. If we, if we're going to fund something, we got to fund it for 10 years. So it essentially becomes permanent instead of just kicking the can down the road. And now we have to have another conversation about this, especially if we're looking at a situation where inflation is going to continue to be a problem. You got to be targeted with what you do. And when you do it, you got to make it count in the minds of your constituents. So even if inflation goes up, they're not like, well, I would rather get rid of this program and not have the inflation if they believe it's neither or. They should say, oh, well, inflation sucks, but you know, at least I've got this benefit to my life. Finally, we did get some notes on why Manchin went uh, uh, full, you know, beast and and shot this bill dead on Fox News Sunday of all programs. And it was because on Thursday, the White House issued a statement punting on BBB for the year and name checked Manchin. Manchin took this very personally. He had, it had apparently been a direct ask to the White House that that his name be kept. Look, he can't control it if a bunch of progressives are saying his name over and over and over again. He didn't like it. He took it as a sign of disrespect from the White House that they would do it. And part of this is because he does worry that something crazy would happen to him or his houseboat in you know that Maryland docking position. So there we go. That's the mansion update. Bird first. By the time you hear this, Joe Biden will have already addressed the nation. It's because this comes out in the wee hours on Tuesday evening, and Joe Biden will have delivered this address on Tuesday afternoon at 2.30 in the afternoon. Now, he announced, he announced that there was going to be a COVID speech last Friday. Don't quite know what he was doing on Friday. You know, maybe... He also uh, had something on Saturday or Sunday or maybe even Monday. Maybe he wanted everybody to go watch the new Spider-Man so he could give his spoiler-filled review along with guidance on what to do with Omicron. I initially thought that the reason why you would do a Tuesday address is because you'd want to be assured that you would get clearance on all of the major networks. If you did a prime time address, therefore ensuring that everybody who could be within range of your voice would hear it. The same thing that they did for the joint collection of Congress when he effectively gave his own State of the Union. But no, not happening in prime time. It's happening pre-early bird. 2.30 in the afternoon on the East Coast. That's 1.30 where we are here in Texas. That is breakfast hours on the West Coast. Okay, well, you know, you want to know what? Maybe I'm being old-fashioned. Maybe I'm being old-fashioned. That, you know, this isn't the 80s anymore, gerbs, you know? Like, like, you don't just go out and all of a sudden all the four major networks uh, carry it and, and it's all there. There are new ways that the world gets out. I mean, I'm sure he's he's probably doing it at 2.30 so the White House can can uh, uh, upload all the appropriate TikToks for distribution amongst the after school hours.
And look, these are all messaging issues. These are all issues that that I just wish I I I had more confidence in in the kind of stuff that they're saying. But the Biden administration on the issue that they were elected on. And I mean that very seriously. The issue that they were elected on has been chasing their tail from almost the very beginning. Should they get credit for distributing the vaccine? Sure, because there's nobody else to give credit to. You get a lot of of, of undue credit and undue blame when you're the president. And I would say the vaccination distribution is, you know, good. Free credit. You get it. The vaccines were ready to go when you rolled in. You You got shots in arms. And I think you did a pretty good job, by the way. I know a lot of people want to be negative on, on our vaccination rate. I think we've done pretty good. But on July 4th, you came out and said that we were closer than ever to declaring independence from the virus. Delta was already sweeping through India at that point, by the way. We didn't have foresight. We got hit really hard by Delta. Among the solutions that were offered was, well, maybe we should have testing a little bit easier. I've said it here before, but I'm going to say it again. It was earlier than this that I ordered a bunch of tests from the United Kingdom, at-home tests that were legal there. They got stopped by Homeland Security here in America. They got held up because they were not approved by the FDA. Now, I would think that moving forward on approvals, Clearing red tape on some of these at-home tests would be pretty good. Maybe during the Delta wave, we would have wanted to put these things into motion. But the Delta wave kind of subsided, still roiling. It was this month, in the month of December, that the press secretary, Jen Psaki, was asked why we are not sending free tests to all Americans. And she, you know, I don't want to say mocking because it's a loaded term, but she was a little bit glib, a little bit glib on the idea of how much would that cost. And so we send everybody one test. What happens the next day? The reporter pushed back and said, well, look, a lot of other countries, it's a lot easier to order tests. And in the UK, indeed, you can order, uh, uh, I believe, seven tests a day, every day. Go to a website, you ask for seven tests, you get seven tests sent to you. Canada also does uh, uh, at-home tests fairly quick and easy. Well, what Joe Biden will announce, partially what he will announce, uh, uh, did announce in this speech, was that we are now providing free tests. He is going to buy 500 million tests, and they will be sent to any American that wants it, over the next several months, I mean, God, I don't know. I don't know how long five hundred million tests are supposed to last. Okay, well, how do you do it? How do you get those tests? I mean, geez, you might be thinking, uh, 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 I got to go on a plane tomorrow. I'm flying tomorrow. I would love if I could get one of these tests right now. Where do I go get it? Oh, uh, yeah, that's the thing. Biden also announced that um, it's going to be available via a government-run website in January 2022. So don't think of it as a thing that's immediately going to help you. Think of it more as a New Year's resolution. That's nice. And look, I think getting these tests out there are a good idea. Uh, you know, I, I'm being a little snotty here, but but I, I do believe that it is a good idea to get these tests out. Now, I do think that there's probably a bunch of different ways that you could have done it. I think maybe subsidizing them very early on uh, and making them extraordinarily cheap uh, so you could, you know, get them, you know, via CVS for like a dollar, a dollar a test, two dollars a test. It would have put more tests in people's hands and maybe done it faster and maybe not put you on the hook for, you know, COVID tests forever, which is, I think, what they're worried about. 
The White House is worried about the fact that now this is going to be a liability. Once you give a mouse a cookie and you offer America free COVID tests, that now COVID tests being free are just going to be a thing. Oh, God. I, I, I just am, I'm frustrated by the fact that it seems like they're chasing their tail. It seems like the whole point of, 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 of Biden being trusted over Trump on COVID was based on the idea that he was a competent politician. And that competency was what we needed. Chaos we didn't like. We did not like chaos. What we want is stability. What we want is somebody who has a sense that two days ago feels a lot like today that'll feel a lot like two weeks from now. And it it just, to me, the Biden administration's handling on this has, has been the worst of what we've seen of the Democratic politicians throughout COVID, which is don't do anything because that might hurt my standing and only do something when I am getting sufficiently bullied on Twitter. All right. All right. All right. What else is happening? So there will be increased support for hospitals. Uh, 1,000 troops will be mobilized and they will be kind of a roving force. Uh, deployed to various COVID-burdened hospitals. Um, There will be an expansion of hospital capacity by way of FEMA. Uh, There will be hundreds of ambulances and emergency vehicles teams uh, that will be able to transport overflowing hospital uh, attendants to other hospitals that would be able to handle them better. Uh, 30 paramedics are heading to New Hampshire now, 30 to Vermont, 20 to Arizona, and 30 ambulances are headed to New York and eight to Maine, which tells you a little bit about where they believe that there's going to be a lot of uh, hospitalization. There will also be new federal testing sites. Uh, so these are, are are beyond the free rapid test, but, but sites in which people can come and get tested. Uh, and the defense production act to further accelerate production, uh, will be invoked. So free tests are for the free rapid tests rather are made more available. And, uh, yeah. And then more vaccine, 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 which, you know, again, is is good. Look, uh, uh, I'm going to be real with you guys on on Omicron. It's insanely transmissible. I think we know that by the numbers. We can only hope that it is as mild as I have seen it anecdotally around me. I have never had more people around me in one fail swoop uh, become infected by the virus over the last 72 hours. It has immediately become something that has been uh, front of mind. I've taken more COVID tests over the last 72 hours than I think I did the previous, you know, uh, uh, six months for sure. At no time during Delta was there ever anything amongst my vaccinated friends more than just one person or maybe two people getting it having a bit of a rough time about it and then being okay, which is great, right? That's what you want. So again, encouraging everybody who's listening to this, if you are not vaccinated, please talk to your doctor. Uh, I have been vaccinated now a couple times. So, but that being said, this variant spreads fast within the last Week, it has become 75% of new cases in America. It will be the dominant strain. There seems to be evidence to say that it is less severe, which would be great. But especially during this holiday season, please take care of yourselves. 
We're all in this together. I'm not here to blame anybody. I'm here to make sure that as many people listening to my voice are listening to my voice in two months, in three months, in four months. So I love you guys. Please stay safe. Interviews with more than two dozen National Democratic Committee members, state party chairs, and strategists have laid bare that the drive to kill Iowa and New Hampshire's poll positions as the first contest of a primary season seem to have lost steam. This, according to Politico. Uh, All these interviews were taken during a big DNC meeting in South Carolina. South Carolina, literally, but we would be one of the states that would be most uh, to stood to benefit uh, from a reshuffling of the calendar. But they're not the state that's really pushing for it. That's Nevada. Um, so Iowa, New Hampshire look like they're going to survive, and that's and that's fine. To be honest, I like it. I like the fact that Iowa, New Hampshire are are going to survive. I've been to Iowa during the caucus twice now. I've been to New Hampshire during their primary twice now. I loved both. <laughs> I think both are really, really cool. Uh, I, I, I think that the hate toward Iowa is fascinating because it actually has been more predictive on the Democratic side than it has been on the Republican side. The Republicans tend to reward more evangelical candidates in Iowa, whereas on the Democratic side, if there is a very well-organized upstart like a Barack H. Obama, then he is rewarded by being able to to run well in Iowa. New Hampshire's always been a weird persnickety state. Uh, uh, you have you have very, very, very uh, uh, fussy and provincial voters. You have those in Iowa too, but but it's a bit of a different story. But what has always befuddled me is what the parties expect these two states to be because my expectation or understanding of them are different than what it seems like we're hearing, at least in this modern conversation. So let me break this down in this modern conversation. The idea that you hear levied is that Iowa, New Hampshire are too white to be representative of the democratic party. Okay. You're right. They are more white than 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 the Democratic constituency by and large. But you can lose in Iowa and New Hampshire and still be okay. Case in point, Joe Biden, who got his ass kicked in Iowa and then fled New Hampshire before election night. Now, if you're gonna use Joe Biden as an example. It also stands to reason that Joe Biden got his ass kicked in Nevada, which is not quite as white as well, and did not win until South Carolina. But what I see those two states are for, Iowa and and, and New Hampshire specifically, is not to necessarily be representative of the Democratic Party as a whole. Rather, to me, It is a teeth cutting to see exactly how well you can run a campaign. So Iowa is a state where you do not need air travel. You know, if you're doing uh, a primary in California, you're probably going to wind up flying certain places because it's a very big state. Iowa, you can pretty much drive via bus the entire time. So that means if you are a smaller campaign that's kind of bootstrapping, it's doable. I mean, hell, you can do it with a couple of rental cars. You, know, you don't even need a fancy bus or anything like that. You can get from point A to point B and do the the do the things that you do in Iowa. 
Now, the one other thing that I will say about Iowa is that nobody in America, for my money, as somebody that has been a political junkie and has tried over the last five years, I mean, really eight years, to go to places where the fervor for democracy is at its highest, nobody cares about their civic duty more than Iowans during caucus season. Fact. Especially during the primaries. I made an effort to go to the places where people would really care, places where people kind of barely care. Without a doubt, the people that had the most to say about it were always the Iowans. Now, New Hampshire folk, they got their own thing, but it's not as detailed as Iowa. Like, because of the way that the caucus system works, especially on the Democratic side, where you can't just walk up, place your vote, and then a caucus happens uh, uh, for, for the Democrats, which is really what they do need to reform, is they have this bizarre Red Rover situation where there's like everybody goes to different sides of the room. And if your candidate doesn't have enough, then then you have to glom on to another thing. So there's a lot of arguing. There's a lot of yelling. But the caucus goers will have like not just opinions on who they're supporting, who they're caucusing for. They'll have detailed opinions on what their two through five is. And I've had these, and these are not conversations like at rallies. I've had these conversations at Applebee's. I've had these conversations with, with random people. They are very dialed in. It would suck to see that go away, to be honest with you. Like if we want to reward people who are dialed into the system, nobody else is more dialed in than Iowa. But... It looks like that's the case. And by the way, I called this from the moment that that everybody had their knives out for Iowa and New Hampshire. And here's the reason why. It's hard to stay mad for four years. It really is. And also, Iowa, which was a total tire fire disaster in 2020, was that way because the National Party forced the, the uh, vendor a uh, uh, grift of, of the pod save America people to make that app that screwed up everything. Like that was the national party sandbagging Iowa. So I'm excited to go back to Des Moines. I'm excited to go back to Manchester. Uh, it is, it is always a pleasure and I'm, I'm very excited to be back there. And by the way, I love going to Vegas. I love going to Charleston too. Uh, uh, it's, it's great. I'm excited. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a final warning because we are days away from Christmas. Now, the supply chain might have put a crimp in some people's plans on getting certain items. But as I speak to you right now, we are rapidly approaching, if not already past, the event horizon that says that anything you order online is not guaranteed by Christmas. And there might be somebody in your life that, oh, you were going to get them something, but then you didn't. And maybe you just want that little something extra that puts, you know, the holiday season into in, in, into into that next level. Well, if they're a fan of this podcast, then I'm asking you, come on over to my Cameo. Cameo.com slash jury. J-U-R-Y. Shoutouts will be done all the way up through Christmas. I don't care where I am. I will record these cameos for you guys. Uh, uh, and, and look, I know a lot of husband and wives listen to this show together. Or maybe they, they both listen to the show, maybe separately. I'm saying, do, do you want to be left out when they get you one and you don't get them one? Mm, pretty embarrassing. Pretty embarrassing. You want to be the one that got them the jury cameo. Am I right? Head on over there right now. Cameo.com slash J-U-R-Y. 
Also, of course, if you want the bonus content on this program, take politicsseriously.com. $3 level gets you two bonus podcasts each and every week, including this week and next week when we're only doing one free podcast per week. I am going to continue rolling on with the bonus content. Can't promise you what it's going to be, <laughs> but there will be bonus content and it's going to be a good time. Head on over there right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Members of Congress and their spouses be banned from trading individual stocks while serving in Congress? No, I don't know to this. Because this is a free market and people, we have a free market economy. They should be able to participate. In that, that is Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. She was responding to a question, which you're going to hear the story behind of a series of investigations by the D.C. Insider Bureau looking into the reporting and activity of Congress folk trading, selling, and buying stocks. Should they be allowed to do it? Should there be any more oversight considering the fact that Elected representatives of Congress know inside information about how things are going to go in this country and then benefit personally by way of financial investment. Here to discuss this entire investigation is one of our favorites, the money man and a founding member of the D.C. Insider Bureau, Dave Leventhal. Welcome to the show, Dave. It is good to be back on the show, Justin. Well, and and it, and it should be because you guys had a hell of 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 a, of a week there. The uh, you know I I remember it was not too long ago when when the D.C. Bureau of Insider was was simply uh, being born and. You guys were the talk of the town over the last week and a half, despite the fact that Biden's uh, 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 legislative priorities might be currently crumbling before his eyes like Spider-Man at the end of Infinity War spoilers. But uh, 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 you guys were the talk because of this series you did about stock trading within Congress, something that has been in your crosshairs for a while. Uh, explain to everybody what was different about what you published over the last week. Well, it, it, it has been. You are correct. And uh, we, we are no longer a, an infant bureau, an infant no. news bureau. We are, we are definitely a toddler news bureau now, about a year and a half into our existence. And uh, we, we wanted to throw a tantrum about <laughs> an issue that we've been Following from really the beginning of uh, of us being here in Washington D.C., and that does revolve around the personal finances of elected officials, uh, particularly members of Congress, who episodically, kind of story by story, we began to see a pattern as we were reporting these stories out about this member of Congress, this House representative, uh, violating a law called the Stock Act by maybe perhaps uh, having five or 10 stock trades disclosed late, a couple months late. Well, here, I'm going I'm 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 to pause you right there just to reset for folks that, that, that might not uh, uh, know the context here. The Stock Act, what is it and what does it permit and not permit? The, the 32nd version of the Stock Act. It was yes. passed about 10 years ago. It was signed into law by then-President Barack Obama. And it was a law that was supposed to defend against conflicts of interest. It was okay, supposed okay. to quash lawmakers elected by the people to come to Washington, D.C. to do the people's business from having an advantage based on the private, uh, secret, privileged information that they get by virtue of being a member of Congress and acting on it in a way that would benefit them personally and financially. So getting super secret information. Then you call up your stockbroker, you get on your stock trade app, and you make a trade because you know that something in the world is going to cause an industry or a company to have wonderful, great financial fortunes or the reverse. 
So the Stock Act was set up to basically uh, provide a bulwark against that type of activity and create a disclosure regime that would mean that if you're a senator or a House representative and you trade in individual stocks, mm-hmm. you're buying Tesla, you're selling ExxonMobil, you're, you're doing this kind of activity, that you're going to have to disclose that activity very quickly. And, and that works out to, in reality, about 30 to 45 days, Yeah, We are talking about DC quick here. So, so 45 days is effectively Jesse Lewis. But it's way better than a year, well, yes, which is what, what exactly. it yeah. otherwise would have been. Uh, so this gave you, if not real time information, it gave you something that was at least a, a distant cousin to it. Yeah. But uh, Stock Act passes. And 10 years hence, here we are. And the bottom line is that lawmakers and now our project, uh, Conflicted Congress, uh, also provides a a significant uh, greater detail than that. Not only lawmakers, but top level congressional staffers have done uh, a, a collectively rotten job at adhering to even the disclosure provisions uh, of this law in a way that is in just rank violation uh, of the law. So the the thought was back 10 years ago that, hey, we're not going to ban members of Congress, despite all this secret information that they get from trading in individual stocks. Yeah. OK, that was a decision that Congress made. Uh, but we are going to require them to disclose all their activities so that the public can see it. There's lots of transparency. And if people are concerned about potential or real conflicts of interest, they will have the requisite information to determine for themselves as voters, as citizens, as Americans, to hold their representative accountable. The problem is, if you don't provide that transparency, if you are violating the disclosure aspects of the Stock Act, and then is conflicted Congress uh, reports in great detail, if Congress itself is not holding its members accountable by fining them or otherwise punishing them for transgressions, which uh, they are, are not to a significant degree, then the whole thing really begins to fall apart. And so that is where you can see, and as you spell out in this series, that there are systemic lack of respect or even acknowledgement of elements of this law, specifically the, the, the disclosure, and even more specifically, the fact that there is a need for timely disclosure, something that should happen within 45 days. Uh, I think many people will probably remember back to the very beginning of the pandemic back in 2020 when several Congress people up to and including now ex-Congresswoman Kelly Loeffler from Georgia was uh, uh, charged with insider trading based on the fact that they knew that the pandemic was going to be something that would affect uh, not only America, but also the world and made trades that were based on that knowledge. So as you guys are looking into this, uh, wh- where where do you even start? How, how do you how do you uh, start to pin these things down? Because the whole idea is that it, they need to report them and 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 have them be out in the public. But if not, if they're not reporting them, how do you guys know? So you know, quick nerd alert. Um, yeah. this is when we talk about disclosures. There, there's disclosures and there are disclosures. And okay. what I mean by that is. Members of Congress, uh, they only have to disclose uh, their financial activity on electronic forms, or if they don't do that, they can do it on paper, okay? They can handwrite disclosures. That's the level of disclosure that we get. So if you're expecting to go onto an online database and say, hey, I wonder how many members of Congress own Pfizer stock. There's absolutely no way to do that. You just simply can't. You would literally have to go through every single member of Congress and their financial disclosure reports to determine comprehensively whether two or 10 or 20 members of Congress own Pfizer stock. So that's what we did. We went and we collected every single financial disclosure Mm -hmm. from every member of Congress we went, and I won't go into the painful detail here, but there's a whole nother for senior level staff members, like chiefs of staff or general counsels, top aides to members of Congress who are also privy to an incredible amount of 
private information, oftentimes meet with lots of lobbyists. Their reports aren't even online. You have to trek up to Capitol Hill, sit at a computer terminal that sometimes is working and sometimes is not (laughs) in these two offices in office buildings on Capitol Hill that sometimes are open and sometimes are not. And you have to look at this information on those computer terminals. You cannot download it. You have wow. to sit there with your laptop what and literally you, recreate just, just, the database. Just because we got some nerds here in the audience, what is the computer for which you are are getting this information on? I'm imagining it's an Apple 2GS, uh, the likes <laughs> of which we have not seen since uh, the bunker in Lost. On uh, an, an Apple 2E with one of those big old eight-inch floppy disks, you know, <laughs> yes. it's, uh, it's more akin to it. No, it's not that bad. Uh, I would encourage everyone because nothing will be better to explain the process of Uh this. If you're curious about how ridiculous this absolutely is, my colleague uh, Camila DeChalice did a video about her going through this full rigmarole and uh, it is hilarious and it will blow your mind and it will make you want to like throw something through the uh, cathode ray tube monitor uh, of your (laughs) Apple 2GS. but that's what it takes. And they I literally had, you know, three reporters who work with me spend hundreds and hundreds of hours creating their own database of personal financial disclosures that are supposed to be public records, but are anything but for senior level staffers. And hey, if you live in Texas, if you live in California, if you live in Alaska, you want to get access to that kind of information because you're a political operative or you are a journalist or you're a concerned citizen. You got to get yourself on a plane and fly to Washington, D.C., put yourself up and then go to Capitol Hill for God only knows how many days in order to do that. That, That's a level. So the bottom line is, in order to determine truly who owns what, who is buying and selling what stocks, how much certain members of Congress are worth, it it requires recreating and in, in essence, creating something new out of this data uh, which I should note, we have published not only more than two dozen stories and data visualizations as part of this project, uh, but also we have released the data. It, it is now free and in the wild. So if anyone wants to really nerd out, they now have this data available to them and they can make heads and tails of just about anything they want out of the personal finances of every single member of Congress who's serving in Congress right today. So not only have you guys synthesized your own stories out of it, you have now made your data public. So so that is, thank you for doing that. I'm sure that there are plenty of people in all those fields that you just mentioned, from political operative to journalist to just a regular old numbers nerd junkie uh, that, that will uh, benefit from that work. But let's get to what you guys found. What are the top lines of some of these Stock Act malfeasance from our members of Congress? Well, we found 49 members of Congress who have violated where we found them in 2021 violating the Stock Act to one extent or another. That may be they're a couple of days late disclosing trades that they should have disclosed all the way on to the extreme cases where we're quite literally talking about hundreds and hundreds of trades that were not disclosed in the period where they must be by federal law that Congress itself passed and that collectively are valued at six, seven, or even eight figures, so extreme amounts of money. Then one might ask the question, okay, well, what are these trades? Well, they're trades in everything imaginable. And our uh, our project found, for example, you mentioned COVID, you mentioned Pfizer. Uh, we found 75 lawmakers, Justin, who in calendar year 2020, in the teeth of the pandemic, when everything was just beginning and Congress, mind you, was making incredibly monumental decisions about Mm -hmm. every aspect of the pandemic, uh, particularly pandemic relief, 75 lawmakers were buying or selling or holding Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, or stock in companies that were highly pandemic sensitive, such as uh, PPE manufacturers or uh, companies that created COVID tests. Uh, so in essence, you had you know a not so small minority of Congress personally vesting itself in the companies that were going to be most critical to the types of issues that they were voting on and passing bills on 
and spending ultimately billions and even into the trillions of dollars on uh, during the course of the pandemic. We found 15 lawmakers who are tasked with shaping defense policy by virtue of them serving on either the House or the Senate Armed Services Committee who are trading in defense contractor stocks, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, General Dynamics, Boeing. Uh, so all these companies, they spend millions of dollars every year trying to convince the federal government to buy this certain weapon system or to yeah, install they, they, this they, they, military they, communication system. They spend millions so we can spend billions buying the things that they that they make. Uh, literally the military industrial complex warned by Dwight Eisenhower. Look it up. Uh, uh, but, but before we get that, I don't want to skip over this COVID thing because when, when you look at where we were at that time, even if you are to say, okay, well, if somebody knows that this is going to be bad and they buy Zoom or something like that, that is a reasonable risk that this thing will last longer than the two weeks to stop the spread. But maybe it's not that bad. But when we're talking about vaccines. A reminder that Moderna, Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson were in the process of testing their vaccines before we locked down like this was not a secret and it was likely known to these Congress people, especially as the federal government was intervening with uh, Operation Warp Speed, that federal money was going into pre-buying these things. Like, we, this was not a, a gamble. This was not a, well, maybe kind of situation. They knew exactly what was going to happen. And it, not, not only are they getting secret information, but they get this public information. And, uh, and yeah, it, it's there, there were more than a few lawmakers who we could see from their disclosures were basically day trading these stocks. Now, we've reached out to hundreds of lawmakers and their staff, hundreds of offices, had, had hundreds of conversations, phone calls, exchanges. And we put the question to them, why do you do this? What, what, yeah. What's the reason? Why, and, and, and can you explain this to us in, in just the most basic terms so that we can understand, our readers can understand, just give us a sense of why you find this to be okay. And I would say the most common answer that we get is, well, it's not really me doing this, it's my financial advisor doing this. I have an arm's length relationship with my finances. And that's all fine and good. And that sure. may sound to some people uh, is a reasonable thing, but there's no proof and they can offer no proof that uh, they are truly detached from their financial investments because they don't have to. And there's nothing that requires them in the law to say that their uh, financial advisor it doesn't have uh, direction from them, doesn't have uh, you know, some sort of relationship where they're checking in every day. The only way to do that, guarantee, is to create what's called a qualified blind trust. And this is a financial vehicle that is set up by a member. It's fairly expensive. It's fairly time-consuming. And it has to be approved by either the House or the Senate Ethics Committee. And then after that, the documents for this qualified blind trust become public so that everyone can see all the terms of the trust. And sure. Congress itself says, if you truly want to defend against conflicts of interest as a member of Congress, you need to do this if you're going to trade individual stocks. Well, we went through every single member of Congress to determine if they have created a qualified blind trust for their assets. Take a guess, gonna put you on the spot here. <laughs> Take a guess how many members of Congress currently serving right now have created an official qualified blind trust. So it's everybody in the House and, and all hundred senators, right? Uh, you would you would be about uh, what, 525 uh, or we'd have to subtract about 525 yeah. from, from the number that you just offered. No. Yeah. yeah. I would say, I would say uh, a 10. Wow. All right. 10. So that was 10 over the goose egg. I was, I was legitimately going to offer Uh uh wow. Okay. So 10 people have, have, have done it. Do we, uh, 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 the, who are they? At least let, let's, let's point out who did it. Sure. Uh, well we have, uh, and, and I should note too, that these 10 uh, don't all have 
full on qualified blind trusts. That's to say that uh, for two examples in particular, one would be Joe Manchin. Uh, the other would be Senator Dianne Feinstein of California. They do have qualified blind trusts for some of their assets, but they don't have qualified blind trusts for other aspects of their assets. And for Joe Manchin, this is particularly notable because the part of his assets that he doesn't have in the qualified blind trust is his family coal business, which is important because Joe Biden's entire environmental policy going forward uh, very well could be either put into motion and animated by the single vote of Joe Manchin or killed and quashed by the single vote of Joe Manchin. So that is important uh, to note. But who are who are some of the others? Uh, well, we, we have a whole story out uh, actually uh, on Friday called Avoiding Financial Conflicts of Interest in Congress <laughs> Work. These lawmakers put in the extra effort and wish more of their colleagues would too. That's a headline. And it goes into all of the people who have created one. Uh, I think a good example of somebody who has and who has just been very like, I am, I'm, I'm going to like have assets. I'm not going to go bankrupt here. I'm not going to put all my money in a, in a bank savings account and just sure. leave it there to rot while inflation goes up. Uh, but it's John Ossoff of Georgia, a Democrat. Okay. And uh, New, that, a, a, newbie, that is, a newbie just got in this year. Absolutely. Uh, so he he would be one good example of somebody who who's done uh, exactly that. Uh, Eddie Bernice Johnson, not a household name, but a congresswoman from Texas. Very, very long serving. I believe uh, she's retiring. Yeah, I, I guess I guess that, that that really is is my larger question before we, we don't really need to go through all 10 of these. But uh, uh, if there is any trend between people that have been there for a long time or if this is is just totally random, some old folks, some young folks, some in between. Yeah, and it uh, it is really all over the map. Uh, some of the newbies definitely have gotten in. Uh, Mark Kelly of Arizona, Senator Mark Kelly, he's another example of somebody who very recently has created one. Uh, Representative Dean Phillips of Minnesota, uh, he's served a bit longer, but he very recently created a blind trust. So there's a couple that have popped up recently. Probably the most notable one would be a blind trust created by Representative Tom Malinowski of New Jersey. He's a Democrat of New Jersey. We reported at the beginning of this year that he had failed to disclose dozens and dozens of stock trades. Not late, but just didn't disclose them. Just absolutely absent. Yeah. And through our reporting, we were able to suss that out. And when we asked him ultimately about it, they owned up to it and even provided us documentation that. We screwed up. Uh, we're going to try to do right. And at least to his credit, he went to take to that extent to create one of these qualified blind trusts. Nevertheless, he is actively under investigation by the House Ethics Committee because uh, it leaves in the opinion of some. Uh, there's concerns that his transgressions were so egregious and so yeah. beyond yeah. the pale that it deserved uh, more than just the standard minimal fine in this case, uh, it has gone to a higher level, although he may get off scot-free. We'll we'll see what happens uh, as a result of, of this investigation, which uh, is still, again, in motion. The way I would understand the ethics committee for these kinds of crimes, and I'm going to put that in in quotes, the, the figurative crimes, depending on how we are defining this, uh, you know, stock act, but it might be a real crime, who knows, uh, is that the ethics committee is the the jury right so who's the sheriff who is looking over this kind of stuff is there a mechanism within congress is it part of the federal government or is this policed amongst the parties the the sheriff for congress when it comes to the personal finances of lawmakers and the uh and, and the stock acts enforcement is congress They've set it okay. up in a way where they are their own sheriff. They are their own referee. The example I'd like to use is put two football teams on the field. Don't have any referees. Now, as a Bills <laughs> fan, I might say that's a good thing. But nevertheless, imagine two football teams trying to call penalties on each other all game. Yeah. Uh, one of two things will happen. Either it will be rank chaos and they will call penalties on each other every play and there will be seven flags uh, every down or they're not going to call any penalties at all because they know if they call a penalty on the other team, the other team will immediately call a penalty 
on them. So, hey, let's just call the whole thing off and nobody calls any penalties. Well, Congress has taken really that second route where they very, very, very rarely will go hardcore on any other member because they know that, hey, if the Democrats come hard down on Republicans and the Republicans are going to turn around and uh, turn around to fair play, same thing's going to happen. So that's where it goes. Only in the most extreme cases will another entity get involved. And there are two ones to pay attention to. One is the Department of Justice. And in examples or if, if there is a question of criminal level violations where somebody has done something where they have engaged in insider trading in a way that would violate federal criminal law, the Department of Justice will look into that. We saw this with Richard Burr, senator from North Carolina in 2020, where the Department of Justice did investigate him, but ultimately did not bring charges against him. So, you know, they they really have not done anything to the point where somebody has gone to jail uh, at the Department of Justice. So that's one thing to know. The other entity is the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. They too can actually continue to look into the Richard Burr situation. Uh, They are not a criminal law enforcement agency, but they are a civil law enforcement agency. And as part of our series, we uh, looked into what the SEC might be doing going forward. And there are some smart people who know the SEC inside and out really well who say they could kind of be a dark horse in here. There may be some things that they're doing in 2022 and beyond that would be a little bit scarier for members of Congress than what they face at this point. Well, uh, I would imagine that if Congress is the sheriff here, then there would be no more important figures for the Republican and Democratic parties in both the House of Representatives and the Senate and their leadership, Kevin McCarthy for the Republicans, Nancy Pelosi for the Democrats, and then, of course, on the senatorial side, Schumer and McConnell. So I'm sure that McCarthy and Pelosi are are right on this and they are really focused. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I heard that uh, Nancy Pelosi actually had some uh, face some questions about your 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 reporting and had some pointed words for it. I'm sure in nothing but effusive praise and support that finally this has been brought to her attention. Uh, my colleague, uh, Brian Metzger, went to her press conference uh, last Wednesday. She conducts a regular press conference and uh, she had never seen Brian before. Brian was standing there and in the front row, very, very intrepid young reporter. And she called on Brian. Well, Brian asked her about all of this and uh, asked her a couple of questions, the gist of which was, should members of Congress be able to buy and sell individual stocks and, and their spouses? Because in Nancy Pelosi's case, her husband, he's a incredible investor, Nancy Pelosi, and our ranking, and we, we put out a ranking of the most wealthy members of Congress, is in the top 25, largely by virtue of her husband's wealth. Mm-hmm. And Nancy Pelosi said back to Brian, she said, no, uh, this is a free market economy, that members of Congress should be able to trade individual stocks. And her other response was, we have a reporting system and if people are not reporting, they should. Uh, of course, what she failed to mention was that uh, there are quite literally now dozens upon dozens and dozens of examples of people not reporting. So that, that is not working well. No. And she took a lot of flack from a lot of Democrats, including Elizabeth Warren, who basically came out after her comments and, and said, no, uh, with all due respect to the speaker, she's wrong. And you can agree with her or not agree with her, but I think it goes to show that this uh, this is a very ingrained way of thinking all the way up to the highest levels of leadership and that members of Congress really, generally speaking, don't want to give up their ability to make money off of individual stock trades and their investments in those companies that themselves, again, have a huge, huge stake in the decisions of government. So this is just going to be a thing that keeps going on. And the best thing that we could hope for is that when they are egregious or when they they do not report that there are people like you guys that are going to make a big deal about it and bang the pots and pans. Not necessarily. Now, don't hold your breath waiting for Congress to to change the law 
but it was a pretty major scandal <laughs> and uh, uh, actually some some excellent reporting that that was done back about 12 years ago that led to uh, there being momentum for the current stock act in the first place. So yeah. oftentimes flashpoints, scandals uh, is critical mass, public outrage can conspire in different ways and curious ways to spark action on Capitol Hill that for many years has just simply not been there. So who knows, can't predict the future, but clearly people are, are now talking about this in a way, especially with Nancy Pelosi making the comments that she did. And they're, they're talking about it in a fashion that they, they weren't even a week ago. So yeah, we'll see where that goes. Well, I know that we would not be talking about it if you guys didn't make your way down to that dusty old computer and start shaking numbers out of it and even more so making a big deal and making sure that Nancy Pelosi had to at least put her her words behind the idea that this is, uh, in my opinion, just a total absence of any kind of consequence or leadership when it comes to what I think most Americans, regardless of political affiliation, seem to think is dirty pool when you are actively insider trading based on knowledge that you only have because you are there to do the people's business. So uh, uh, thank you and your team for putting that together. Uh, Great, great work. Thank you, Justin. I really appreciate it. And certainly we hope uh, people will go and read it and use it. And contact us, too, if they have ideas, because we will be continuing to pursue this issue and uh, in new leads as we go into the new year. Hell yeah. Numbers nerds, unite. Go get get, get, get your spreadsheets on and uh, uh, see if uh, there's anything else that we can squeeze out of that. Uh, Dave, where can people find all of your work at Insider? You can certainly go to insider.com. I would encourage people to go to our Twitter feeds, uh, which is this at this is uh, insider and at business insider. And you will find all of the stories in the projects. Uh, and my Twitter feed is at Dave Leventhal, where I am definitely posting a lot about this these days. Uh, as longtime listeners to this show knows, there are few better in the game today when it comes to money and politics than Dave Leventhal and his team over there. So uh, great work one more time. Uh, and thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And that'll wrap it up today politics 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 is written and hosted by me justin robert young for dog and pony show audio in austin texas you can uh give some kudos to our boy the money man dave leventhal at px3guest.com you want to send us an email it is the young american at gmail.com our twitter is px3 tweets you can watch us live in the new year on our twitch px3live.com uh, share the podcast with friends and family px3podcast.com and of course get some merch at politicsmerch.com if you'd like to send us a Christmas bonus you can do so we, we, I think we got another one over the last week uh, yeah Joe Joe sent us 20 bucks on Venmo, that's Justin-Young-20. You can hit me with a PayPal, paypal.me slash payjury, P-A-Y-J-U-R-Y. And our cash app is PX3Cash. You can send checks or anything else. In fact, uh, uh, we did get uh, a, oh, Diamond Scoop. Diamond Scoop sent me a Christmas card to our P.O. Box. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, P.O. Box 153184. Austin, Texas, 78715. And of course, you can always get our bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss in our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your names read at the end of the podcast, like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10. Here, Idris Arslandian, DJ Katie Mack, Niemeister, Dr. G, Lord Scale, the Kinsey, Anile, Admiral Flapjack, Utah, Jimmy Montana, Edmund, Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicery, TV Salesman, a Spy, D, Really, and Gloria Young for King.
king of the new world order. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dotcom Junkie, DP4 Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, Hunter Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Diana's Scathing Scowls. Longtime listeners, I remember that there used to be Diana's Sunny Smile. She was a baby. There were some sunny smiles. Now I've been informed that they are scathing scowls. So she's getting a sense of how this world works. Double K Ranch, Pop Gold, Yule Pinball Shop, John Snuffy's off Route 44. By the way, listen to some uh, some of the Heat and Christmas special, the politically incorrect Christmas special where he does sketches. Very, very funny stuff. Super Zoomy. Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin, and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Richard, D Laser, just another pilot, middle aged Mike, the Jen, Will, J Pink, and Andrew. Longtime listeners to this and other podcasts will know that I'm a bit of a softy around the holidays. And I just want to underscore that one more time. Um, the gift that you guys have given me is the most precious thing that I could think of. It is something that uh, while certainly your monetary support is what makes it go, uh, money can't buy. And that is the gift of fulfillment. I get to do exactly what I want to do free of almost all influence beyond what I believe is a sacred relationship between me and you. So the fact that you're able to do that, whether you are a free listener, whether you support on, on Patreon, whether or not you are among my dear friends who send uh, uh, great text messages and, and emails, uh, it's, it's always so heartening whenever somebody who I I know and respect says that they listen to the show uh, thank you I've always found it a bit curious whenever we get into conversations about denominations around the holidays and and you you say things like happy holidays because you know you don't want to automatically assume that that you know a Jewish person sports Christmas or practices Christmas or vice versa, blah, blah, blah. I've always found that strange because I always love the idea that everybody would be expressing what's in their heart. None of these holidays are anything other than a shared collection of joy and community. Something to bring us a light in the midst of the dark of winter. And I think that in that, we can recognize these benefits even more so in our modern world, considering what we are going through. And so, with that, it is with love and charity in my heart that I tell you, Merry Christmas. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.